Welcome to the Gamers Inc. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Happy to be back in the video game chair. I don't know. Is that what we call it? Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a it's been a whole week. We're recording a day later, but that's fine, because it gave us another day to play some insane strategy game. It did. And actually, yeah, we're going to jump right into talking about this because uh, the reason we decided to delay a day is because I got a review code for a new game called At the Gates uh, by one of the guys that was involved in the Civilization franchise, which obviously you guys know that I love. And I wanted to significant time into it to have a better idea of like how it worked and what it was all about before we talked about it on the show. So um, I think, Ryan, you got a code for this as well and gave it a shot too, right? Yeah, I got a review code for At The Gates and, and played uh, probably not as much as you did. I, I played about an hour, which gives you uh, a very clear indication of what this game is, which is a strategy fan, like a hardcore strategy fans sort of, I, I don't know, dream, I guess. Like, because this, this was a kickstarted game, right? So people who wanted this experience put money towards it. And now it's a thing. Like, and I'm talking as if I didn't enjoy it. Like, I, I really, I didn't. <laughs> There's so much to it. It's so complex. Like, it literally just, like, it tore my brain apart. Yeah, so basically, it, it's kind of funny because when you first load up the game, it gives you the option to, like, read the little tutorial bits and, and kind of explore on your own the... Um, I mean, it's basically the Civpedia. It's the thing with all the different topics that tells you how to play the game, basically. Um, but it's it's like a giant help file. It's not, it's not necessarily like a move here, click here thing. It's The game is not very hand-holdy at all. And when you hover over all the different professions and research and things that you can do, there's so much information in those tooltips that it was very daunting to begin with. But when that, by the way, At the Gates is a very long, very hard, very involved game, like it warns you straight off the bat. <laughs> it is true. Like I was looking at the tutorials. So when it starts, it, it, it when it does start, it gives you like, it tells you like, hey, you're going to, you're going to have some trouble here. You're going to want to do X, Y, and Z to begin with. Um, and then, but when you're looking at those, uh, when you're looking at those tutorials that pop up, they're very wordy and also that you can go, you can go like 10 deep as you see these yellow highlighted things, like you said, and you click on those and it opens up a new window and then those have yellow highlights and you click on that and it opens up a new window. I went like 10 deep before I realized like, this isn't a game. I'm just reading about how to play. It's like <laughs> when you get a new board game that is the size of your, your table and then you realize like, oh, I'm going to spend probably a third of the total time I'm going to play this reading the manual and setting this thing up. Yeah. So it, it's 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 crazy like that. But again, like it's uh, it, it's kind of like it's it's a strategy dream. But I, I, I don't know. It's I like Civ, but I, Civ is easy enough to just you can kind of fumble your way through it and still have fun. This I feel like I I didn't fail, uh, but I was. I felt like I was kind of like, it's a very slow game. They straight up tell you at the beginning, like, Hey, this is a slow ass game. So you're going to want to, you're going to want to accept that mm -hmm. <laughs> in the beginning. And it really is. So each turn is half a month and there is like, there's weather cycles and there's annual cycles. And 
basically it takes you like one turn is half a month. So you get kind of like 12 turns of summer and 12 turns of winter. I get it's not quite 12 and 12 because obviously mm -hmm. it goes through all four seasons, but um, it becomes very difficult because your units don't move very far and they won't gather like crops in the winter, which makes sense. And they, they get angry if they get left out in the cold, which also makes sense. But that means that you have to send your units out, have them gather, bring them back, send them out, have them gather, bring them back. And then there is a like you only ever control one city, which is a big change if you're used to civilizations like normally you make your main city grow until the point where you can make a settler and then you send them out and then you make another city and you expand your empire that way. But in at the gates, you are like a nomadic tribe almost. So you're you're picking up your settlement and moving as you find new resources to try to make those travel times shorter for your hunter gatherer people. So I've been playing for uh, I don't know how long exactly, but I think uh, I mean uh, probably four to five hours. I think I ended up maybe maybe a little bit more. And I mean, I don't even have like mounted spearmen yet. It's very, very, very slow. But in kind of a satisfying way, I felt I get like, it's kind of like players and developers looked at civilization and went, okay, this is easy mode. How do we, how do we make this more hardcore? Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they've really ratcheted up because basically the way it works is you're a, you're a nomadic tribe and you're trying to bring as many clans under your belt to overthrow or survive i guess the roman the roman empire and you start off with like i think four clans and they basically are presented as the they have a they have a figurehead and, the, and you can kind of interact with them a little bit but then you have to train them so sometimes they'll be given to you and they've had a trained profession already sometimes they'll be given to you and they have no profession and they're unemployed so then you can set their profession to be one of eight options and then you can employ them in what appears to be tens if not a hundred different employment options so you're not training units you're gathering these clans and then giving them jobs based on the tech tree right so yeah and that even was in there it's it's intense yeah that was the hardest thing to kind of wrap my head around at the beginning was like the jobs and the clan kind of system because it's like so if you have attracted and you attract new clans by your fame rating and you can train things like um, bards and lore keepers and things to increase your fame. And then basically as more and more clans hear about you, then your population will grow as new clans are attracted. But those clans that are attracted because they have a job, they're also like, they are everything. They are your gatherers, your cooks, your miners, your military, your, like just literally every part of your civilization, you only have as many clans, like you can only have as many jobs as you have clans. So if you have like a super aggressive neighbor, then you have to devote your clans mostly to military. And then you're just like, okay, well, we can barely feed ourselves because I only have like one clan left over to be a gatherer or something. And I think um, there's also 
like in civilizations and this is where like i i feel like the best comparison is like for easy mode versus hard mode civ versus at the gates is there are unidentified resources all over the map in civilizations hmm. as soon as you remove the fog of war you can see what's on all those tiles but in at the gates you have to have a certain unit it's um later on in the game it becomes a surveyor but you have to have um your gatherers your diggers or i think there's one other uh your hunters i think can identify currently unidentified me quite a while to figure out like who actually could identify those things because i would like send my gatherers out to plants or no um I sent my gatherers to like the wheat and then the, the there's a whole other unit that is meant to get wheat. So then I had to send my gatherer back to the settlement and then change their profession and send them back out again. So I was like a whole year <laughs> changing this person, sent them out to get the wheat again. And then I was like, oh, yay, now I'm finally getting food. And that was one thing it took me like a year and a half to figure out how to actually get food. And they only give you 10 food resources to start with. So I was just like, I spent the whole entire winter starving. And I was like, at what point uh, I didn't actually fail. I didn't hit the, the point in the game where it told me like, Oh, all your people starved and nobody left. So I don't know if the first winter is kind of like a, you can't fail in your first winter (laughs) thing. I don't know, but um, I was really surprised because literally like the first month of winter, it was like, you have no food stores left. Your people are starving. Yeah, I uh, I think at the very beginning, I my people started to starve and then there was famine. And then I, I think I, I started to curve up like eventually like it's weird around the hour mark. It did start to click, you know, uh, and then. And I was like, okay, I kind of get this. I understand what's happening. I started building some, you know, like iron mines and going from there. But then I realized something started to happen where my clans were upset. And there's like, hey, I don't want to be a warrior anymore. I want to be, I want to be a weaver or I want to, I want to collect wheat. And it's like, wow, that's a sharp turn. So there were these, these instances where I had to, uh, (laughs) I had to basically, um, send him all the way back. He was an explorer. Send him all the way back to my settlement. Change, load him into the settlement. Change the profession so he was happy. Now he got a boost because he was happy, mm-hmm. but it was like this process of bringing him all the way back uh, to switch him. So like this game, like it doesn't do anything uh, accessible. Like it doesn't do anything accessible. Like it's all every part of this game, and this could be a, a good thing or a bad thing. But every part of this game is strictly meant to be of strategic value like yes yeah. if you're sending your guy out there you better be damn sure that he is cool doing it and that if you're gonna bring him back you have to bring him back yeah and that's one thing that i that i realized when like obviously not right at the very beginning because people started getting mad at me for the same reasons is you know like no i don't want to be outside of the settlement i don't want to be a gatherer i want to be a settled profession so that's the other thing is that there's two different kinds of professions And one kind is a settled profession, which is something that you just uh, create and then have them stay in the settlement. And then they just do that job. 
So mm -hmm. there are some clans that want that prefer to do that. And then there's other clans that'll get upset if you don't send them out into the wilderness. Like they get stir crazy. They don't like being around other clans and, and things like that. So you have to make sure that you give the like explorer, gatherer, miner type professions to those people and then give the ones who want to stay the like bread maker job, the blacksmith job, things like that. So pay, I started paying attention as I would gather clans into my settlement, like as more and more clans would show up, then they'd show up and they'd be like, oh, this guy already has, you know, like a level seven crafting or whatever. I'm going to see if I have a crafting profession available for him because that's clearly what he's going to excel at. And that's the other thing is that there are professions and then there are disciplines and you have to try to match up the discipline as best as you can with the profession that they give or the profession that you give them because mm -hmm. that way you'll like make them the most efficient that they can be so it's just like it's this layers of strategy upon strategy and like you said uh, probably but the hour or two market really started to click and then my civilization started being a little bit more efficient and I found I had a lot of money and everything else and economy in this game is also really interesting because there's a caravan that shows up every few turns and the caravan is basically like a traveling marketplace where you can either sell the resources that you've gathered or buy resources that you don't currently have. So that kind of helps fill in some of the gaps in the tech tree, which I really liked because, for instance, where I started, there were no olives, but you have to have oil and cloth in order to heal any of your clans. So I was sitting there like, how the hell am I ever supposed to heal any of my units that keep getting attacked by barbarians? Like, I can't help that. Barbarians are random. Like, <laughs> they just show up and then attack my people. And usually I win. But still, like, there's there's damage that needs to be healed. But I don't have any oil. So what am I supposed to do? And then um, I upgraded the caravan. And then the next time the caravan came, then it had um, either oil or olives i can't remember one of the two but anyways i was then able to heal my units and i was like damn this is it's it's helpful but again there's like no hand holdiness at all in this game there's instructions no. all over the place but mm -hmm. it definitely um it's it's overwhelming because it is a very complicated many layered game so trying to remember all of the different things is is very overwhelming also is it still, I, I probably should have looked this up ahead of time, but is it still in beta or is it actually out now? It is out. Yeah, it uh, it came out just this week, so, but, okay. it, but it has been, I don't know if it was in alpha, but it's, this is 1.0 of this release of this kickstarted uh, game. Okay, because I was going to say there were still a couple of things that I felt were kind of buggy and it's um it has a very like simplistic art style and everything like that like it is a, a smaller indie title it doesn't have the graphics of of Civ but no um I did notice like a couple times like I would send my unit I would say like go here and the unit was like okay that's gonna take however many turns and then the next turn it would show me that clan again and be like this clan is idle i'm like they shouldn't be i told them last turn that they need to go here so i felt like um there was a little bit more of that than i would have expected not necessarily like glitches just like pro kind of problems i, d I don't know how to 
explain it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't run into any, you know, there were a couple of glitches, uh, not glitches, but just like design weirdness where uh, a clan would spawn on the settlement and then I couldn't, it was hard to tell what I was clicking on. Like when you mentioned the graphic style, like with Civilization, they put, they put such an attention to detail to make sure that you know what you're clicking on and you can tell from a bird's eye view and a glance what you're looking at. In this, it's very like a muted palette. It's like a it's like a painting kind of, mm-hmm. but it all the colors kind of blend together, and and then it looks neat, but it kind of ruins the the accessibility. And again, it, it's almost like a clear decision to just make things more difficult for you, uh, or make <laughs> it more strategic, where you're having to pay close attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's turn based, so you can take as long as you want to set up your turns and all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, like it. It's even more complex than Civ, like where, like you said, in Civ, you're building a building and you're harvesting a resource by building that building. In this, you have to train the clan and the profession and then employ them in that in that job, then identify the herbs, and then the herbs suddenly turn into something they can harvest, but they can't harvest it if they're not a specific type of harvester or if it's too cold. It's, it, ah, man, it's just layers upon layers but I know there are people out there that, that listen to this conversation and they're reacting the way I'm reacting where it's like, this is too much. Or they're reacting in a way like, oh, this sounds perfect. Yeah, you know? I thought it was great. Like, I, I am thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, and that's why I recommended that you check it out because I think if, if it was just me talking about it, it would not be a very balanced conversation. Like, I appreciate what it is and I see what they're trying to do, but man is it like you would only play this once through and be like at the gates nailed it i finished i finished the campaign it took six weeks but we did it well and that's the thing is that um so there the it tells you right at the very beginning that the whole point of the game is to overthrow rome and become the new superpower basically um I don't know how long that campaign would take, but I mean, I right now am still a nomadic civilization with um, like one spearman. (laughs) And uh, I, let's see. um, I think I've met two other neighbors and Rome keeps sending me gifts. So I feel like I'm like a vassal state of Rome or something like yeah. I clearly pledged myself to them at some point. Uh, so I really don't know how long it must take to get to the point to get like get to the end game uh, because they say you can either overthrow Rome like militarily, like go in there and, and just beat them up, which must take forever. Um, or they say other less indirect means, but they don't actually tell you what that is. So I find like the whole game, there's just so much to discover and I find it really interesting. And there's also like in civilization, you can see the entire tech tree so you can plan things out. You can't see the next level of the tech tree until you research things in the current level of your tech tree, which also is very interesting because it's like, okay, I think I need a stonemason right now, but Mm -hmm. maybe what I need is actually in the next level. But do I do like... And trying to fit it's it makes it very, very difficult to plan because you don't know what the whole tech tree looks like. So I'm I'm like down here researching all these agriculture things, and then I was like, oh wait, 
I haven't researched any military stuff at all. Like I still have the very first like honor branch that I haven't mm -hmm. even clicked on yet. That takes one turn to open up the first layer of the tech tree. I'm just like, man, there's so much here, but it's so good. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a lot there. And, and, uh, and again, like the tech tree wasn't laid is laid out kind of weird in that there are, there are, all six tech trees are in one pane and then each tech tree of that section has a starting point, but then those starting points and some of the other data points within there have multiple upgrades per that round. And the way they're layered is kind of weird. I mean, you can click on them and you can choose. It doesn't lock you in. It's not like, hey, you got to stick with this until it's done. Like you can kind of move things around. You can queue things up, I saw. So like there is usability there. Um, again, it's just a weird like UI choice to kind of like layer layer that stuff together. But yeah, it's a complex tree. Like there's a lot to this game. And I was, just, and it even has the Civ stuff where, like, you have discovered, you know, Bohemian from uh, the civilization, blah blah blah. And he'll come at you. He'll be like, he'll either be like, "Hey, we should be cool," or "Hey, I don't trust you." And and they have the whole like, uh, yeah, they have leaders and politics and declaring war and alliances and things. Yeah, yeah, it's all there, and it, and it's just other like nomad nomadic clans head people like there's no leaders right yeah i also saw um that each clan i met had or each um like other civilization that i met i'm just calling them civilizations because i don't really know what else what other word to use but mm -hmm. um each other group that i met had a religion assigned and i was kind yeah. of like oh so clearly at some point in this game religion comes into play but you don't know how or when or any of that kind of stuff so with this game for me, I felt like as much as the instructions were thorough and obvious and all right there for me to read, there was still a big sense of discovery as I was moving through and a mm -hmm. huge sense of satisfaction when I actually did things properly and figured things out because I didn't feel like my hand was being held at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's no hand holding in this game, but again, like if even I think I felt like even when I was getting lost in the pains of help, um, I wasn't feel I didn't feel like I was I was ruining the game for myself because you're right, there is still that sense of discovery, and about an hour in, like which isn't too bad, about an hour in, you it is clicking for you, and you're starting to realize what you have to do, and my biggest suggestion to folks is just to make sure you're bringing in some food. And that's where this game really shines is that for as complex as, as it is, it's very simplistic in the left top left-hand side. They show you your resources. And then if you've got guys gathering that resource, it shows you right there your, your plus or minus, you know, next to the total number, which was very helpful for me to, to be able to see that and not have to glance. You would fully expect this game to just have a bunch of graphs thrown at you, but it's very <laughs> simple in the, in the left-hand side. It just shows you like, yeah, you got a guy gathering pigs. Well, guess what? You're getting a couple extra food every day because that guy's gathering pigs, you know? Yeah. And what I really like, speaking of that resource pain, as much as the UI, I think, leads something to be desired it's it's a little bit uh rough around the edges compared but it again it's an indie game versus you know a triple a title but um one thing i really like that the resource panel did is that even if you had gathered something in the past if your stockpile of that thing was down to zero 
usually it would just go away. Um, things like food doesn't go away because, you know, then it pops up and says like, oh, you're starving. Oh, no. But um, things like, for instance, when I first started gathering grapes, I gathered grapes for my first summer. There was a vine right next to my settlement. I gathered grapes. I had some grapes. Then they got transferred to food. And then the grape, like grape icon on the left hand side went away. So it doesn't get cluttered with a whole bunch of uh, icons with zeros next to them. So I thought that that was really cool and a, a really good design decision because there are so many resources in this game. There's like not only there's grapes, but then there's also fruit and then there's olives and then there's like wheat and barley and flax. And like, so there's multiple. This doesn't just become food. Like it's just, no, I didn't even like, notice. Yeah, oh, no, man. there's, there's multiple grain types. There's multiple stone types. There's or like mineral types. There's multiple like basically anything that's anything. That's why you have to identify different plants and minerals and animals is because they could be anything. And then there's like some of the animals will be cows. Some will be pigs. Some will be horses like and you can harvest horses for, you know, cloth and parchment if you want to. Or you can wait and not harvest them until later in the game, which I didn't realize. But you can wait until later in the game and uh, you can like stable them and make them, you know, like war horses stuff like that but i used mm. up my horses super early in the game because i didn't realize i was like i because i think the my dude was like gavage or forage for parchment or something and i was like sure yeah go ahead forage all you want dude yeah you just you do that and then i was like oh no he's he's like chopping up my horses and like making what? them into parchment somehow because then the horses disappeared and i was like oh man i wouldn't have done that if i realized that would you know like make it so i didn't have horses anymore <laughs> and also what am i riding on <laughs> man that's a improper use of horses i just gotta say <laughs> exactly exactly i mean it's very early on in a civilization you do what you got to do to survive i guess but you know we didn't need to write down our laws that badly <laughs> on on the side of of <laughs> probably could have used those things to like i don't Whoa. know plow a field I, oh well I hopefully you're using the whole horse i guess i, I you know <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, it's and your resources like are finite. Like if you use your resources, you have to explore for more resources. And I and I don't get the sense that expansion is something you're going to be doing a lot because right at the beginning of the game, it says you will have one settlement. You know. Yes. So it's not like Civ where you can just like take over the next settlement and be like, okay, now I've got a network. I didn't get. The, I mean, I didn't get that far, but it, it sounded to me like. Oh, that was I got the case. yeah. So. I specifically um, like focused on doing that before the show because I wanted to make sure that I actually tried it. And this is where I kind of had some problems with like moving and stuff because I was trying to tell my settlement to move like, I don't know, maybe like say 12 squares or something and it only had a movement of four. So then it just didn't do anything. And I was like, okay, but then if I clicked within my borders, so I guess like your settlement can only move within your own borders, but then your borders move with your settlement. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's really weird. Anyways, so then over the course of telling it to move a few times over a few turns, then finally I got it to where I wanted it to be, but it took me a few turns to figure out just how to even move it. But you have to uh, basically pack up your settlement. That takes a turn. Mm -hmm. Then you have to move. And that takes however many turns. And then you have to unpack your settlement, which takes a turn. So, like, nothing's, like, instant ever. 
which which does make sense like logically if you think about it but is uh is just an added level of of slowing the game down and making it a little bit harder and then once you've actually like unpacked your settlement the way to expand your borders is to fortify yourself and then that takes resources and a turn and then your borders will expand by one and you can do that up to four times but your expansion or like your settlement can only get so big so I didn't really like I'd been playing the whole game as if it was civilizations and I'd been sending people way far away and things like that from my one established settlement that they give you at the beginning of the game. And then I was like, I think I'm doing this wrong because I'm only getting a couple of turns of gathering before I have to bring them back to the to the settlement again because it's winter or whatever and they'll freeze. So uh, and then I was like, you know what, I should just move my settlement north. Like, why am I back here? There's no resources here anymore. That's why I'm sending people so far away. And that's when I moved and then it got easier. Mm. So like okay. it is very much meant to like it's a movement move. you got to you're on yeah, the move, move yeah. exhaust your resources move again and keep going uh which is which i think is kind of cool and that's why like you mentioned civilizations we've mentioned civilizations a hundred times in this conversation but uh you mentioned you know like building the buildings and things like that in civilization like mm -hmm. you don't really you build buildings on top of resources to harvest them more efficiently but you don't build buildings in the way that you do in civilizations in that, like you're building walls or you're building, you know, like um, wonders or aqueducts or like none of that. No permanent structures. You're basically like building things to get things faster and then you're moving on. So mm -hmm. you're not. Uh, it's not as visual as civilizations is like you, you don't see your towns evolve over time it's just you know this collection of three or four little tents and that's all there is to it and you know then you keep moving but I think I'm gonna actually start a new game and because now that I have a better idea of how things work I think I can I can do better and be better and I also realized when I moved my settlement that it improved my relationship with my neighbors because my borders was coming right up against a neighbor's border and he kept getting more and more mad at me. And I'm like, what's your problem, dude? Like, I'm not even, I'm nowhere to like, not doing anything to you. Why are you getting so mad? And then I got up and moved. And then like two turns later, he was like, ah, we can be friends again. I'm like, hmm. okay. <laughs> He's got, you got a Gandhi, basically. Yeah, I got a Gandhi, exactly. But because like you can actually move your borders in this game, it's actually like you're able to kind of accommodate personalities like that. And it's so far easier to avoid war based on things like culture, religion, military border dispute stuff like True. in civilizations. It's like you just have to deal with this because this is where your borders are now. There's no way to move your borders in civilization. So well, think about how pissed your neighbors are going to be when you up and move and then they discover you've left the land barren. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I'm totally, I'm ripping the crap out of the land. I'm using everything I can and then I'm getting out of there. <laughs> At least you're not like salting the earth, I suppose. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> and th actually I haven't played long enough to know if once you exhaust a resource patch, because exhausted resource patches like so when you harvest all the wheat then the patch turns like yellow mm -hmm. and i'm kind of like hmm i wonder if that's like marking a patch to be like you know eventually maybe wheat will grow back here i don't know it seems like that would be the kind of complexity that a game like this would have right regrowing regrowing resources after 50 years or something i don't know which would be like well 50 years would be 
two turns a month. So what's 24 times 50? That many turns. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think th things do regrow because I did notice right at the beginning because I didn't move my settlement, but I noticed that, you know, I had, I had exhausted a, a great area and then it kind of like dwindled. And then my guy was like, I'm done. And then I went back and it's like, oh, it, it had regrown. So I think it depends on the resource. Uh, mm -hmm. I noticed like when I exhausted trees, um, did, they started did, to Did it back. get exhausted? Because I noticed like the grapevines will get all wilty in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, okay. Because I was going to say, yeah, they won't, people won't gather when it's cold and the, like most of the vine and wheat and stuff looks dead in the winter, but we'll come back in the spring. Yeah. Maybe it takes a season to refresh. I did have some clansmen disappear, which was no doubt due to them dying. Um, I didn't realize people could die until suddenly like, man, I'm having much shorter turns here. Oh, right. I guess I left some people out in the cold and, and they had no food. So they, sometimes it's the explorers... It's not only that, but um, neutral tribes and barbarian tribes, if they find your dudes undefended, will just take them over. Oh, so clans will kind of like abandon you almost and become hmm. barbarians. So then if the barbarians leave them undefended, you can take any of your dudes and go and into their square and then they become yours again. But yeah, they can convert and be converted back. Yeah. So there's there's really no reason for you to rush through your turns in this one because it, that's probably what happened to me is I was kind of doing the similar to Civ, like doing the one more turn type thing. And I yeah. don't think that applies here. Like there is no one more no. turn sort of game mechanic it's certainly still a feeling you'll you'll get when you're playing this game but it's not you you don't want to give into that feeling because if you do that you are going to lose resources you are going to um miss opportunities or see you know your clansmen taken over by barbarians like like what happened to me probably so <laughs> yeah so i mean overall i very much i am really enjoying this game i think it's awesome i love the different levels of strategy and, and how complicated and complex it actually is now that I've kind of gotten the hang of it. Mm -hmm. But that being said, like you need to really enjoy playing deep, complex games, mm -hmm. strategy games, specifically resource management games, specifically. <laughs> yeah. It, you have to have that very specific want for this type of game. And, yeah. and again, like it uh, really got to stress this, like don't, don't jump into this game if if you're unsure of that. Like if you love Civ but you want it to be more deep and more complex, this is the game for you. I still 100%. enjoyed what I played of it, but uh, and I want to give it another shot to see how far I can get because I think I just need to restart now that I know what I know. Mm -hmm. um, it might be worth doing the first hour once it clicks, then restarting, and then that gives you a better idea of how to play. Um, you also uh, mentioned that um, like once you kind of got to the end game and once you beat Rome, that that would be it. But one of the other things that we hadn't actually touched on yet is that these worlds that you populate. So every time you start a new game, they're actually randomly generated. So mm -hmm. you um, even if you were to go start a new game, you're not going to start with the same clans. You're not going to start on the same like continent or location resources like none of that you could. I think they said like for the, your very first game, they give you a very neutral starting point. So like you're not too far north. There's a good kind of mixture of resources because it's very much like the first time you play is kind of meant to be almost like a tutorial. So they don't give you any sort of like extreme weather or anything like that when you first start up. So I kind of want to just start another game to get a totally randomly generated world and see how I do because I feel like 
if you had a randomly generated world and you got a very harsh starting zone, then that would almost teach you to move better than anything else, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> better than a tooltip popping up saying, you should probably move now, <laughs> yeah. which it never does, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't experience that. And I and I guess I realized I should have moved once I had exhausted. They, they do very strongly suggest that you are going to exhaust your resources and you have to be prepared to find new resources. Like don't just stick around waiting for something to come up. It's not like Civ where you can just endlessly fish, you know? Yeah. Um, this is there's everything's got a timer everything's got a a resource cap there's like yeah like and there's a uh, like a progress bar on each thing so you can see how much of the resource is left yeah and when you're sending out explorers even like you're sending them with rations and that's what i found you have to even manage that and like it's it's insane what they've like everything every single thing about this game they've looked at it and said like let's add three more things on this thing to make this thing managing thing and it's just it's like so it's so many layers it's crazy but people love this stuff so i'm glad that that this game is is there for people who who didn't find civ to be complex enough (laughs) well i mean i think you can enjoy both because the other thing that this game made me want more is like now i'm super looking for like i want to get back into sim or sim want to get back into civ and i'm really excited because um civilizations is getting a new expansion soon so i'm like it just it put me in this like super strategic awesome headspace. So mm. I'm just I'm looking forward to playing more at the gates, and I'm looking forward to uh, playing more civilizations when the expansion comes out. So I feel like at the gates will get me through until uh, the expansion for civilization comes out, and I'm super stoked. Cool, cool stuff. So what else? What else have you been playing outside of at the gates? Yeah, like I only played a little bit of At the Gates just to get an idea so we could talk about it. But uh, a couple games that I've been playing over the last week, uh, I got a, a review code for Vane, which is a PS4 exclusive. And this one popped out at me because it, it's actually uh, some of the devs are uh, former Team Ico devs. So, so folks that worked on Last Guardian, Shadow of the Colossus, some very visual, very impactful games that uh, that were PlayStation 3 and uh, also on PlayStation 4 exclusives. So this one, uh, right off the bat, like I was hoping it would kind of carry the pedigree of like Shadow of the Colossus and Last Guardian and stuff like that, but it, it does have some faults to it. It's not, it's not like a great game, but like there are moments of it that really shine through that are that are worth talking about. And then like folks can determine whether they want to experience it for themselves or, or not based on, on this conversation. But basically, the game looks really cool. It's got a sense of style that is very different from a lot of the other similar platformers. Like it's very close to like a puzzle platformer like uh, like Limbo or Inside, those type of games where you're controlling uh, a character at certain moments. But then there are other moments where you're a bird and you're flying around. The game basically <laughs> starts um, where you're this guy running around, like dodging lightning bolts, and it, that was kind of pointless because, it, but it was, looked really cool. Like the lightning was like deforming the things around you. You never felt in danger because the lightning never really came close to you. But it was setting up the story in a way that honestly made no sense to me. I was like, that was weird. I guess we get to play as a dude later on, and then all of a sudden it spawns me as a bird, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. So you're this bird and you're in this open desert. Looks fantastic. It's um the graphics are kind of stylized in a in a way where everything it's 
um, what's the word? It's like voxels, I think, or something like where everything's kind of like polygonal, but but defined in a way where from far out it looks it, it looks like a a uh, a proper proper meshed uh, polygon or whatever. But when you get up close, it, you can tell there are like uh, there are edges to everything. Uh, I don't know how to explain that any better, but you're this bird and you're flying around and you have this button where you can crow and the whole point is like you're looking for these veins right you're you're, like weather veins oh like weather veins yeah just looked it up because i was like i have no idea what it is that you're talking about no but then i saw like the the logo and i was like oh i understand now (laughs) and and really when it like I think where they're coming from is like there are only weather veins at the very beginning of the game, but then there's also like they're clearly foreshadowing this major storm with these lightning bolts. And and over the course of the game, the storm does, you know, come back and, and, and is a major part of the game. But in the beginning, like you're this bird and it's getting you used to the flying controls because those are going to come back later. But basically what you're doing is you're flying around, you're finding these veins uh, you're you're sitting on them as a crow. You're calling your crow buddies over, and you're activating these veins so they, the the more weight you put on it, the vein kind of turns up, catches the wind, points you in the next direction. Um, and it turns out what you're doing is you're collecting all these crows so you could knock over this large weather vein, and then that like opens up this like what I can only explain as like an egg of like yellow goop, right? <laughs> And this game is very weird, and to explain it is it, it, like even to see it, you're like, "What is happening?" So you get this w- big weather vane v- right at the beginning of the game. So it's it's not really you're gonna want to know this because one of the issues the game has is that it it doesn't direct the player very well. And I know some people are like, "Oh, it's part of the experience," but personally, it's like, no. Like if I'm getting lost and you've you've let me free in this open world or this open desert, like I don't want to get lost. Like I want to, I want to feel like I'm on the right path. And there were a lot of instances in this game where I, I would get lost in corners, like you know, dark spots of the game. Like it's a very, it's a very dark color palette in points. Yeah, and, I'm looking at at screenshots now, mm. and I see what you mean about the about the art style. I don't know what it's called, but like now that I've seen it, I I know what you mean. Yeah, um, it's like, a lot of it. It's a lot of black or dark, like very very dark blues and reds and browns and things like it's 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 dark it's a very dark color yeah. palette i can see how you it would be difficult to tell what was important and what mm-hmm. was path and what wasn't yeah and really the best advice i can give to folks who are looking to check this out is that just go to the light you know if if there's a dark patch that's that's the developers telling you like now nah, you don't need to go this way um you can still go that way but you're just kind of going to get like kind of I don't know, like fumbled up in a corner, like it, it, it like you're, you're, it's just, it's not, it's awkward and it, it doesn't feel right. But basically like at the beginning of the game, when you knock over the vein and this like weird egg thing, like breaks open and this you know, yellow goo falls on the ground, like you're encouraged to fly towards the yellow goo. And as you fly towards the yellow goo, you turn from a crow into a small boy <laughs> obviously right so you emerge <laughs> from this yellow goop as a a young boy and and now you're on an adventure uh, further to solve puzzles and you're going through and that's where it gets kind of weird and that you're now this small boy and you're trying to traverse um through this world 
and, and there are puzzles where you 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 have to be the boy to kind of progress but then if you jump off like a large ledge the boy will go like and then he'll turn into a, like a crow again you know before he falls and, and and dies so like you then have the ability to 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 turn from a boy into a crow by like doing like a like a like an eagle jump from assassin's creed but instead of landing in hay okay. you turn into a crow um and then as a crow you can solve puzzles and you're kind of encouraged to like the midpoint of the game is like you're kind of swapping back and forth so you turn into the crow to kind of collect other crows to uh to to make the the ball of goop land on the other side of the map so that you can you can further progress on that side because when you're a crow you can't really like move places you're kind of just using it to fly around and and uh, gather other crows and then when you turn into the boy like that's when you can further progress into the next area um and it just kind of keeps moving from there where you're like continuing to progress through these these small uh puzzle type areas they're all open but they're like kind of contained so it's the first area where the desert is is quite open, but then once you further progress, like it's more of a an enclosed space, so you don't feel quite. It as almost lost. looks like a tomb, or like mm-hmm. um, I'm looking at a screenshot right now that's totally giving me like Kazadoom Lord of the Rings vibes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot of these like big caverns that you're in, and and then because you're turning into a crow, so they kind of have to make they kind of have to make these open areas, right? So there's this one really cool area where you come in, and it's uh it feels like there's this open treasure room, kind of like, you know, Smog's treasure room. There's a bunch of gold in the middle and you're trying to free these, these, uh, these bull or, uh, they're either birds, they're birds, they're birds in the cages. And then when you free them, they fall out of the cages and they turn into boys. There's a lot of like weirdness of like boys turning into crows and, and all that fun stuff. So then if you turn into a crow and you fly further down, like you find that the room is quite open. Like there's this huge vast cavern and and there's this open upper space and it's uh it's a it's a game that kind of like tries to delight you in, in what it's showing you with with the weirdness and and sort of these uh these sounds and music, but it kind of like fails to all connect in in a way that makes you kind of feel like you're playing something truly special like you know near the end of the game they start to introduce this like um deformation and formation of structures which looks really cool but like the tail end of the game like i was trying to progress through this area and these the deformation and formation of of uh the structures underneath you to progress you kept getting caught in the geometry and you kept falling through and Mm. it was just really frustrating like it looks super cool but like it just, I didn't connect in a way that I was hoping for. Like when I, I'm glad I finished it, I'm glad I made my way through it because as a total package, there was like some really cool stuff in there, and it did look really neat and had some neat ideas. But it just, uh, I think it lacked sort of like some polish as well as just the movement of the of the when you were controlling the boy didn't quite line up with the movement of the crow like when you're flying around Mm. that feels really good and and you know better than it probably should and then when you're you know you're running around as the boy it just it felt kind of clunky very ps3 like last generation type movement Mm. it wasn't snappy you know and that's what you need these days with with these current gens of consoles and pc games like that's what you expect 
from an action platformer that you when you move the controller when you jump it's responsive but everything kind of felt like kind of like it was moving through molasses when you're kind of traversing that way and you know like if you're an impatient person that's really frustrating um so uh, so yeah overall vein worth the 25 dollars I think it's something like if you really want to experience it, you, you should wait for a sale. I think there's something there that's worth experiencing. And there's a it's an interesting like portrayal of, of what the developers are trying to get across. But like, I don't know, man, it's just there's something about it that holds me back. Like, it's hard to recommend. But I think if the if the screenshots really draw you in and, and the video draws you in, like I'd wait for a sale and then check this thing out. I think it's I think it's worth playing. It only took like three or four hours to get through. So yeah, I think like waiting for a sale is probably your best bet with this one for sure. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And did you get a chance to play, I guess, one more thing this week? Because I, oh man, dude. So this morning I woke up and I was so super stoked because everything that I had seen everywhere told me that Kingdom Hearts 3 was coming out on the 25th. <laughs> Turns out it's coming out on the 25th, but only over in Japan. So I have to wait till the 29th because I got up this morning. I was super stoked. And I was like, yes, I'm going to have Kingdom Hearts to talk about too. This is going to be so good. And then I went over to my PlayStation and it's like pre-order. I'm like, pre-order? What? (laughs) And I was like, maybe it's going to launch at noon or something. Nope. I have to wait till the 29th. So I'll be talking about Kingdom Hearts 3 next week. But... Yeah, no. You also I, had something else this week. I did. Like this one's uh this one's like a smaller title. Uh, I also got a review code for Future Grind on the Nintendo Switch. It's also available on PS4 and Steam. Uh, this one's like completely different from anything we've talked about. It's a great game. I will get this right out of the way. Like I think people, if you're into the trials, <laughs> anything we've talked about in 355 episodes. No, 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 no. Like, uh, just this episode. Like, it's very okay. different from th- the other games we talked about this episode. Right, okay. Now, now if, if we were comparing to our last seven years of it, I'd say, like, yeah, it's very similar to the Trials types games. So, like, I don't know if you've played any of uh, the Trials types where you're basically controlling, like, a motorbike and you're trying to traverse through the level. And it's kind of like a puzzle game, but also like a like a twitch action type game where you're trying you have to just control the 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 bike just right to get through the level uh have you ever played anything like that uh do you mean like uh kind of like an infinite runner kind of thing like is the speed of the bike like set or are Uh, you like speeding up and slowing down like how on rails is it well in in this instance uh you it is on it's literally on rails so basically (laughs) you're uh so future grind uh, first of all, the game is uh, made by a couple Canadians not far from here out of Hamilton and uh, I think the Guelph area. And the company name is Milkbag uh, Games. And that's why I looked it up. It's like, that's so Canadian, it turns out. It's a Canadian uh, Canadian game. And they're actually, one of the developers did this iOS game that I played way back in the early days. It was like Train Yard. I don't know if you've ever played Train Yard. But nope. that was like one of the first iOS games I ever played. So this is was really cl- cool to find out that this was uh, made by the same one of the same guys. Um, but Future Grind is a, a rail grinding sort of trick based game where you have a let's call it for lack of a better term, like a motorbike. So it's like a bike and it has two wheels and you are in the center of the bike and you can pivot the bike. You can move it around. Uh, and you stay, you know, the same in the same uh, area, but the the wheels spin around, right? So one wheel might be of a specific color, and another wheel might be another color, and then the rails have corresponding colors. 
So it's not just about traversing and rail grinding, it's about lining up the colors as well. Because if you don't, your bike explodes. And then you have ah. to start over. So the game Keep starts... grinding so nobody explodes? <laughs> it, it basically, like, the game starts very slow and it'll say, like, hey, here's a bike with, you know, two, both wheels have the same color, all the, the grinds, uh, all the rails are the same color. They throw in some white uh, rails and that resets your counter, but it doesn't kill you if you touch them. It just it just lowers your, your potential score. Uh, and then the game ramps up. It starts introducing new bikes with different wheel types, different wheel colors. Um, some, like there's one bike kind of like a, has one big wheel and one small wheel and that affects your your uh, your spinning motion. So it, it's all in service of, getting from point a to point b on these custom tracks and it just gets more and more complex as you're trying to obey the color schemes basically um and man it's just it's so fast it's so fun and the thing they really nail especially with these types of trials game like sim you played super meat boy right yes yeah yeah so when you fail in those type of games like the first thing that you look for is the instant replay the instant restart basically like Ah, I screwed up. And as long as you can hit that one button and it puts you right to the right to the beginning, that they just they nail it, right? Like as soon as you die, you can hit so the you X just button. Keep going, 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 yeah. Yeah, and and that that is a that is a a real critical thing for these type of games. You need to be able to have an instant restart and they they nail that. Um but yeah, I've been so playing on Switch and it's great. You said it's so you've been playing it on Switch, but it's coming on PS4 and uh, PC as well over on Steam. So, did it make use of anything on the Switch, like the um, super sensitive motion controls on the Joy Cons? I was going to say no. Wiimotes, and I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> the Joy Cons, like, so is there any like specific to Switch controls, or is it just like a port over to Switch from like PC or whatever? It it is it, it's just a it's a port. You know, it's a mm. I don't know if it's a straight up port or if they developed from the ground up for for the Switch, but I know that uh, there's no like motion control, but it does play very well in handheld mode. I've been playing both in handheld and this, on TV, and it, it looks great. Yeah, this sounds like it was just made it's the type of game that sounds like it was made for handheld mode <laughs> I've, I've played a majority in handheld mode and i gotta say like it is a lot of fun pick up and play the levels are very bite size the way they've laid them out and it's not just like go through all these levels we created they've actually added like this story in between the levels where they're kind of like oh we're a sponsor called xenox and like here's our bike and uh, just progress through here and, and you'll get a holiday in no time. And it's like starts off as that as new sponsors come in. And then there's like this like conspiracy hacking thing that starts. And it's like, it's really wild. Like I haven't gone through the whole thing yet, but the story, the story isn't like anything that you're going to write home about, but it's, it's this added bonus that you didn't really expect from a game where yeah i wouldn't expect this to have a story to it that's yeah. kind of fun <laughs> it has a story and it keeps things moving uh and i think i'm i'm like 70 the percent of the way through and and i've just been having a, a blast and like it's like a lot of those trials games where like when you when you get a level and you nail it it's very satisfying and and it, this scratches that itch in terms of uh making sure that you're 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 really feeling that skill level when you when you beat a level i i'm really enjoying it. i highly recommend future grind whether you can pick it up on switch or ps4 or steam i think it's certainly worth checking out and uh it's a small indie title so it's worth supporting as well yeah we had a, we had all small indie titles mm -hmm. tonight actually 
I feel like we've been we've been playing more and more indie things over the last year or so as our amount of game time has been getting smaller and smaller, which I think is great. Like we've had some really awesome titles in the past few episodes from mm-hmm. indie developers. Like I'm still playing the crap out of Raft. Man, that thing is so fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, Raft sounds Josh like a lot of fun. Played, yeah, Josh and I played for like three or four hours. It was like well, actually, probably longer than that. But we we played until like three or four in the morning. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I have to go to bed like this. Gosh, you're a bad influence. But uh, but yeah, I feel like we've we found some real gems in the last few weeks. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. been a good been a good month for indie titles here yeah. on Gamers In. Yeah, it's a good uh, month so, to release your, your indie titles. There's not yes. a lot coming out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so if you guys are interested in supporting the show, if you like what we do, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the gamers in wanted to say a very special thank you to our January patron will thank you very much for supporting the show. And our new goal is to have one new patron a month. So if you've been thinking about supporting us, you can become our February patron. So again, will thank you so much for supporting the show over at patreon.com slash the gamers in. Uh, Ryan, this week you wanted to talk about a little piece of Nintendo news, and uh, I've never played Metroid, so I'm going to just throw this over to you. Yeah, and I think the the very interesting part of this news story is it kind of popped out of nowhere, and it's very unlike Nintendo, and it's actually very unlike the video game business in general. Like the industry just does not do this. So, in like a rare, very transparent move. Nintendo posted this YouTube video uh, to their, you know, their social media feeds, basically announcing that they've re- they're rebooting development of Metroid Prime Four, which was announced two years ago at E3 with like a title card. There were rumors that it was being developed at a Namco Bandai, and now today they've announced that development isn't living up to the Nintendo standard. So they're moving development away from whatever developer they never you know, uh, they never actually publicized. They never confirmed it, but you know, reports were showing it might've been Namco Bandai. So anyways, they've actually brought it back to the original trilogy developers, uh, retro studios, um, which haven't put out a full game since the Wii U era with Donkey Kong country, uh, tropical freeze. So the really interesting part that I think we can latch on here for a little bit is that this is a, this is a transparent move where they've, they've announced that, Hey, that game you're looking forward to, we're actually rebooting it, so you're going to have to, rather than getting it in 2019, you're going to have to wait probably another two to three years because we're completely starting from scratch. Um, an example that comes to mind was when you know the, the reports came out that Blizzard had basically canceled Diablo 4 and rebooted it, right? Rebooted the development. That happens a lot at Blizzard. That's not a, a new thing that they've just started doing. Um but it is rather interesting that Nintendo, a developer that's usually been very closed doors when it comes to their development process, giving us this basically like a public announcement of this, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's kind of interesting. And then I know there were folks saying like, you know, the fact that this didn't leak and they just announced it actually goes to show that maybe this is the right way to go in terms of transparency, especially since they they did announce Metroid Prime 4 they hadn't announced it two years ago, they probably wouldn't have even had to have done this, you know? Yeah, I don't think that I don't think we would have seen this if it was still a closed doors project. But Mm -hmm. I think the fact that because I was going to say, I thought that they had announced a new Metroid a couple of years ago because everyone was going crazy. So the fact that they had already put that out there, which I think um, it's it's so funny because this is like exactly the same thing as what happened with Diablo 4, except for 
you know, Nintendo was had announced it and now is open about rebooting it. Whereas like with Blizzard, all of the Diablo news is very hush hush and it's all rumors and leaked from ex-employees and all that kind of crap. And it's like people are so supportive of Nintendo and so down on Blizzard. And the only difference really between the two is that Nintendo is being transparent and communicating with the fans and Blizzard isn't. Hmm. So like it just it's amazing how much that little bit of communication can change and i know or like a lot of people are very much like or like a lot of developers have said in the past particularly blizzard because obviously that's the developer that i uh pay the closest attention to but um i've definitely heard from multiple teams of blizzard in the past that they don't announce things until they're very close to ready because they don't want people to you know, get their hopes up. They don't want people to, you know, whatever, not even just get their hopes up, but like have really high expectations for things and whatever. They just feel in announcing things really early hurts the company. But I feel like if they had just come out a year ago and said, like, even just with like we were saying they should have done it this past BlizzCon, just some sort of splash logo page of Diablo 4. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is coming. That's exactly what Nintendo did. Shabam! Mm-hmm. Metroid, Prime, Metroid Prime 4 is coming. Everyone lost their mind. They were super excited about it. And now they've come out and said, you know what? We're scrapping the project and we're going to still do Metroid Prime 4, but it's going to be totally different. Blizzard could have done the same thing and the whole Diablo Immortal debacle never would have happened. Like, then they could have just come out and said, hey, you know, we scrapped Diablo. We're making something different. But you know what? In the meantime here's a cool mobile game that we're developing primarily for the Chinese audience. And we want to share it with you guys because we think it's really neat. Then, you know, like that, the tone of the announcement is totally different just with a little bit of transparency. Mm -hmm. So I feel like um, that's all people want in this day and age is a little bit more transparency and a little bit more communication. And they're a lot more accepting of delays when they've got the whole story. So I think yeah. that developers should take a look at this and, and maybe learn a little bit from Nintendo, which I can't believe the like 180 Nintendo's made over the last couple of years. Because like, man, prior to the Switch, they were looking like they were in a pretty, pretty bad, pretty dark place. Well, they never they never would have done something like this where I was really surprised at like development update. And then and someone had commented that they're rebooting it. Uh, under retro stu- retro studios and the, th- the funny thing is when they announced metroid prime 4 and they didn't tell us what dev studio was doing it we're like well why isn't it retro so like some questions pop up that aren't answered like this is transparent but there's still other issues where we didn't know what retro was really working on for the last four or five years they've done some ports they've done some co-development um assist- they've done some assisting with other other projects but like they kept saying like oh we can't tell you what they're working on it's super secret they'll be able to announce it at some point so th- it was never metroid prime 4 so the question becomes like well what is what was being developed at retro is it still coming you know has that been canceled in favor of them getting you know development uh, duties for metroid prime 4 we probably won't know that um mm-hmm. at all so like but you're right like there are certain ways that you can pick your battles and say like we're going to be transparent with this rather than have to deal with some kotaku report that basically unveils everything that we we just shared in this video that we've been trying to keep quiet yeah yeah i don't uh, and looking at another entertainment business i know they're very different but like in the movie business they announce movies during the scripting phase you know um and there are reports that come out that are usually you know very 
very true and very viable that like announce after a movie comes out like yeah they're working on a couple spin-offs and a sequel don't expect them anytime soon but like we get that heads up um in video games we get that too but like they try to they try to have this like veil of secrecy and really it's like we're, we know you're making another zelda like show it to us when you're ready but like don't be coy about whether there's a new zelda coming out i mean come on yeah. or a new halo or or whatever um it is nice to be surprised but i think it's important when when stuff like this happens to just get out in front of it and say like hey yeah we uh it's not living up to our standards so we're gonna reboot it um well and it's kind of funny because i mean like stuff like this they never had to worry about way back in the day right so i feel hmm. like it's funny because it's like movies in television but it almost seems like they've they're lagging the furthest behind when it comes to change and maybe it's because movies and television are like just haven't had that life cycle yet. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. movies and TV have been around since, you know, like the early 1900s. So this is all like, well, I guess maybe not early, I guess mid 1900s, but still like well, movies they're have been much around older since the 1900s. Yeah, since like the yeah, 20s and 30s. The talkies right? like, and the silence yeah, the, films. Yeah, the silent films. And, yeah, <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like films went from being black and white and silent to, you know, having being black and white with sound to being color with sound and, you know, like they had to evolve through all of these technology changes and stuff. And I feel like the real big tech change when it comes to video games has been social media mm -hmm. and just access to the Internet. So it seems like video game companies just aren't in a place yet where they're comfortable, you know, getting on all of these transparency communication bandwagons and movies are just like, yeah, whatever. This is just something else we got to do now. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We're making, you know, another 25 marvel films you know <laughs> well, they announced marvel a whole films like plan till 2050 don't worry guys yeah. and we're like okay cool yeah they announced like a 10 year <laughs> slate right except like they do have yeah. their little quirks where you know movie industry still has like hall h exclusives where they don't release the trailer and then like we get a little like weird cam video of it right so they there's still some weirdness there but like when it comes to transparency they're just better at it and they don't like they they care when stuff leaks that is like clearly damaging to the company, but they don't they don't really go get into a hassle if like there's a report that comes out like successful movie well, is to have sixteen sequels. It's like okay, well, overshoot. <laughs> well, the thing right? is, like, I don't think that anything really that came out of Nintendo or Blizzard was necessarily damaging to the company. No. What's damaging to the company is them trying to keep things from us, mm -hmm. and that's when people start. That's when consumers and shareholders start to get really sketchy is when it seems like companies aren't being totally honest. So I think that that's just like, that's the difference. It's like Nintendo has just been open saying, yeah, we're working on this. Yeah, it's coming. Oh, it's being scrapped. This is what the development process looks like. And then, you know, Blizzard's not doing that. And they're taking some flack for it. And I feel like movies are, are kind of in the same thing, doing the same thing as Nintendo. Like, yeah, we're working on these things. You know, here's our movies for the next few times. Yeah, they might keep footage quiet. But I think that that's fine because you don't want your whole entire movie leaked. You know what I mean? So no. that, like that's the product. But, you know, you can still talk to us about what's what's going on, what's being made, what's being worked on. Yeah, I, I, I found I think it. That's like the expectation now. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, they didn't announce that they were canceling it. And Metroid Prime 4 is never coming out. But it was pretty telling that they didn't reveal any gameplay last year at E3. And they kind of said, like, yeah, it's coming, but we're not ready to talk about it. We'll show you when we're ready. You know, that was that was the weird part. And I think like th that year was kind of like 
you know, uh, holding back the the honesty there a little bit. But now with this, this is much better. And I really do think that this is their way of getting ahead of, you know, the direct. They usually do a Nintendo Direct in January to kind of set mm-hmm. up the spring. And the easiest way to to have your headlines ripped from right under you is that if you don't show Metroid Prime Four. So them getting ahead of it, now they can go forward and be right, like... Right, because originally they had given a 2019 date for it, right? Yeah, they did. So now they can kind of go ahead and be like, now that that's out of the way, let's look at the titles coming up in the next six months. Fire Emblem, yeah. Yoshi, Kirby, that sort of thing. So this is a really good move on their part. Definitely. So I think that's pretty much it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. A reminder again, you can head on over to bit.ly slash TGI Discord if you want to join the conversation. A lot of the um, recommendations recently for games for us to play have actually been coming from the Discord. So uh, if you want 24-7 access to Ryan and I, <laughs> well, go to bit.ly slash TGI Discord. Maybe not 24 Well, I'm up for like the, the, the 6 a.m. to the 6 p.m. And then like Jocelyn takes the 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So that's how we kind of split go. it up. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, so again, that's bit.ly slash TGI Discord. You can visit us on the web at gamersandpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn, at Joss Plays. Ryan is at our Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. The video versions of all our episodes are streamed on Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash thegamersin and are available after the fact over on Twitch. If you'd like to email the show and let us know how frustrated you were with At The Gates, you can do so by emailing info at gamersinpodcast.com. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. And remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.